And you're on right now with Jim Dawes on the Mojo Five O Radio Network. Your daily journal of news, politics, and culture. From an America first perspective. Streaming live on iHeartRadio. And available as a podcast on iTunes, TuneIn, Spreaker, and Spotify. Follow me on Twitter at right now Jim Dawes. And I love to hear from listeners. You can email me. The address is rightnowjimdawes at gmail.com. Or if you'd prefer to call our vent line and get something off your chest, that number is 772-245-0750. That number is 772-245-0750. Oh, man, oh, man, oh, man. You know, I've been torn on how... How much to cover this impeachment? Because uh, it, it is a sham. It's a it's an orchestrated Democrat opposition research cover up sham impeachment. But you know it is in the news, and the impeachment of a president of the United States is is uh, a a weighty issue. Uh, it's supposed to you know be of high gravity and high national importance. And just because the Democrats are making fools of themselves and and. You know, watching these hearings yesterday, it really got kind of comical that Adam Schiff, you know, uh, drugged the support for impeachment down after two weeks of his hearings and then tossed it on over to Job of the Hut, Jerry Nadler. And <laughs> the Republicans sort of hijacked his hearing and turned it into a, uh, a more of a an effective defense for Trump than uh, than. Jerry Nadler was able to advance the case for impeachment. But he had his first official impeachment hearing yesterday. You know, all of these hearings that he has been conducting for the Mueller report and going after Lewandowski and and these other hearings that he've held have been sort of pseudo impeachment hearings. But yesterday was the first official one. And it was a disaster for the Democrats, just an unmitigated disaster you won't hear that in a lot of the mainstream media because they want to pretend that they're you know moving the ball down the field, but it was by any definition a disaster. And I think old Jesse Waters on Fox News sort of summed up the the sentiment after Thanksgiving going into these impeachment hearings. I mean, we're talking about impeaching the president. Juan's talking about call logs. Think about that. We were promised high crimes and misdemeanors, and Juan is talking about a call log. Come on, Juan. You went home to Thanksgiving. No one's talking about Ukraine. My liberal mother's not talking about Ukraine. (laughs) The whole thing backfired. If you look at every single swing state, impeachment's now underwater. This unified Republicans more than it unified Democrats. Democrats are broke. The DNC has no money. Republicans are raising money like I'm not going to say it. They're and raising overfish. a lot of money. <laughs> and now they're trying to play all these tricks like they did with Kavanaugh. All of a sudden, Ambassador Sondland gets hit with not one, not two, but three sexual right. harassment allegations in the middle of all this. And you have Trump over there with Melania looking very striking, meeting with world leaders, fresh off killing Baghdadi, and unifying NATO against the Russians. And then you have Adam Schiff passing this scam to little Jerry Nadler. 
toddler who's supposed to carry it across the finish line. I just don't see how this thing is going to stick. And even swing state Democrats know it because they're whispering about ways to get out of having to vote for this now. You know, I wonder sometimes if all of this isn't being orchestrated by Trump. I just don't know how how deep his skullduggery goes or if he's just sort of crazy like a fox. And that he knows that by being a disruptor and, and constantly keeping uh, the Dems in an unhinged Trump derangement frenzy, that they will, in fact, expose their true nature. And that's exactly what happened at yesterday's uh, impeachment hearings. So they spent eight and a half hours, and I, I'm sort of embarrassed to admit that I watched most of it. My wife looks at me like I'm an, a, a crazy man as she walks through the, the room. But I watched most of it, and it occurred to me while I was watching it that instead of spending their time and energy uh, making fools of themselves, the Democrats could be focused on doing the business of the American people, and maybe they might actually you know, hold on to their House majority, but they seem bound and determined to go down in a sort of a kamikaze, fiery end to their uh, to their newfound majority, they could be passing the USMCA. The American people would appreciate that. They could be working with the Senate and with this president on reducing tr- drug prices because the president has a proposal on the table to make uh, the pricing of drugs transparent so people can shop for it. That would have a dramatic effect on driving down the prices. They could be passing an infrastructure deal that their base would support. It would create jobs and address a long festering deficit in our infrastructure. But they're doing none of that. And while the Democrats in the House are fixated on this impeachment, yesterday the Republican Senate confirmed four more federal judges. (laughs) So congratulations to the Democrats. They conducted this nationwide talent search to find three of the most obnoxious, elitist, unhinged, anti-Trump professors that they could, and they came up with these these three witnesses that were just a disaster for them, Noah Feldman and um, uh, Professor Carlin. What was her first name? Janet Carlin, I believe it was, and Michael Gerhard had uh, Feldman from Harvard and and um, Carlin from Stanford and Gerhard from the University of North Carolina, a public institution, by the way, which I'm not sure that um, professors from public institutions should be going up to Capitol Hill making the case for impeachment based on this obviously partisan impeachment effort. But the Democrats really are sort of scraping the bottom of the barrel by rolling out these liberal professors. All of them had, uh, you know, were partisans to a lesser degree. Gerhardt, but most definitely Feldman and and Carlin were were partisans, sort of unhinged, naked partisans. Gerhard was uh, less so. He has written six books on impeachment, but he, you know, is all on board with the impeachment train. They had them uh, give all their opening statements, and the three were uh, the three leftist uh, Democrat witnesses were all on board for impeachment, making the arguments uh, very paper thin, sort of transparently partisan 
arguments. And then they went to the Republicans witness who was, um, was uh, Turley, Professor Turley from, uh, from Georgetown University, who did an absolute outstanding job. Then they swung it over to the Democrats' counsel to, to question, and, and he steadfastly refused to hear any of uh, Professor Turley's opinions from there that, uh, that prompted Major Garrett, appearing on Nora O'Donnell's news show, to make this observation. I think, Nora, it's worth pointing out that as the public watches what just happened, they would say, wait a minute, there was another constitutional scholar there also who disagrees but never got a question. And for those who support President Trump or independents who are still trying to figure this out, they would say, wait a minute, that doesn't seem proper to me. Ask the person who disagrees so you can at least have a competing set of opinions about what this is or isn't and the democrats reluctance to even bring that into the conversation i know trump supporters will say see they're not even interested in an opposing point of view they want a singular repetitive accusation against the president that everything has been proven and it's all impeachable even though there's a person sitting right there who says you know what i don't agree with the president didn't vote for the president but i don't consider the evidentially sufficient and i think there's a danger about going down this impeachment road precipitously or without gaining all the available or possibly available facts. We're going to play some of the long clips from Jonathan Turley. He really made the other witnesses look sort of sophomoric and, uh, and partisan by comparison. But we had Noah Feldman, a Harvard law professor. He looked like a portrait of Dorian Gray sitting up there with his, his funky uh, haircut and his sort of raised up nose. He's been, since Trump took office, tweeting criticisms of Trump and calling for his impeachment. He's been arguing for impeachment for basically three years. He's a Clinton supporter. And he's author of a book that compares Sharia law favorably to our legal system. Claims that it's far more humane but Matt Gatz, who was absolutely outstanding yesterday in making his arguments, sort of exposed Feldman's arguments in favor of impeachment. Gentlemen, may continue. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Mr. Feldman wrote articles entitled, Trump's wiretap tweets raise risk of impeachment. He then wrote, Mar-a-Lago ad belongs in impeachment file. And then uh, Mr. Jake Flanagan wrote in, uh, in courts, a Harvard law professor thinks Trump could be impeached over fake news accusations. My question, Professor Feldman, is since you seem to believe that the basis for impeachment is even broader than the basis that my Democrat colleagues have laid forward, do you believe you're outside of the political mainstream on the question of impeachment? I believe that impeachment is warranted whenever the president abuses his power for personal benefit or to corrupt the democratic process. Did you write an article entitled, It's Hard to Take Impeachment Seriously Now? Yes, I did write that article. And in article. that article, back did you write, did you write, hold on, I'm limited on time. So I wrote did you write, article. since, in, since the like 2018 the midterm sir? election, House Democrats have made it painfully clear that discussing impeachment is primarily or even exclusively a tool to weaken President Trump's chances in 2020. Did you write those words? Until this call in July 25th, I was an impeachment skeptic. <laughs> Very well. The call changed no. my mind, sir. The and call you, changed I've... his mind. So the call where the president said, I would like you to do us a favor because our country's been through a lot. 
Feldman says that that is abusing his power, and all of a sudden he's all on board the impeachment train when he had previously argued, quite correctly, I would say, that the Democrats were abusing their impeachment power in order to try to win, uh, to weaken the president in order to win the upcoming election. We got to run out to a break. When we come back, we're going to take a look at the Democrats' other star witness that absolutely went down in flames. Her name is Pamela Carlin. And she is a unhinged anti-Trump law professor from Stanford University. Stick with us. We'll be right back. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So the Democrats' first witness that introduced himself yesterday was Noah Feldman, a Harvard law professor, and he truly was sort of a caricature of an elitist, snobbish, lefty professor. He's exactly, I mean, he was at a central casting for a Harvard law professor, and he's been saying that Trump should be impeached for tweeting and Trump should be impeached for criticizing the media He previously argued that maybe Trump could be impeached for declaring a crisis at the border. He's a Clinton supporter that has given money to Democrats. And uh, and Matt Gaetz just skewered him. He he could not have hurt the Democrats' case worse if he had been called up there for that purpose. And then we moved on to Pamela Carlin, a law professor at Stanford University, who was even more anti-Trump and unhinged than than Feldman was. Again, another one of these uh, law professors they called up there, donated to Elizabeth Warren, Hillary Clinton, Barack Obama, been arguing for impeachment for two years. And, of course, you've probably heard by now uh, how deeply she stepped in it when she foolishly uh, brought the name of 13-year-old presidential son Barron Trump into the argument. And we're going to get to that. But before we do, I'm, I want to play you a clip of, of Professor Carlin making the argument that if we don't fight the Russians over in the Ukraine, that eventually we're going to have to fight them over here. She went full neocon. And I think you heard testimony, uh, the, the Intelligence Committee heard testimony about how it, it, it isn't just our national interest in protecting our own elections. It's not just our national interest in making sure that the Ukraine remains strong and on the front line so they fight the Russians there and we don't have to fight them here. Really? But it's also our national interest in promoting democracy worldwide. And if we look hypocritical about this... If we look like we're asking other countries to interfere in our election, if we look like we're asking other countries to engage in criminal investigations of our of our president's political opponents, then we're not doing our job of promoting our national interest in being that shining city on a hill. So if the president of the United States tries to make sure that the previous vice president of the United States, the current 
front runner for the Democrat nomination, didn't engage in corruption, then that is somehow a a betrayal of our Democrat values. And if we don't fight Russia and Ukraine, we're going to have to fight them over here. She went full neocon. We need to arm the Ukraine. You know, that's not playing too well in the heartland of the United States. It doesn't make any sense why we're knee-deep over there on Russia's front porch step antagonizing a nuclear-armed nation and trying to reignite a Cold War. But uh, here's the clip, and you've probably heard the snippet where she uh, drags Barron Trump into this argument. I want to play you a longer version of that. This is uh, the uh, Texas representative uh, whose name I can't recall right now she's uh, you know she's got the uh, braids on top of her hair and she's always wearing a big mau mau uh but she's uh she's questioning carlin and trying to get her to uh, make the argument that donald trump is not a king as if we needed to be reminded that we're you know we live in a republic i'd like you to look at the intelligence volume where hundreds of documents are behind that in the Mueller report Professor Carlin, you studied the record. Do you think it is, quote, wafer thin? And can you remark on the strength of the record uh, before us? That is Sheila Jackson Lee. So obviously it's not wafer thin. Um, And the strength of the record is not just in the uh, September I mean, the July 25th call, I think the way you need to ask about this is how does it fit into the pattern of behavior by the president? Because what you're really doing is you're drawing inferences here. This is uh, about circumstantial evidence as well as direct evidence. That is, you're trying to infer, did the president ask for a political favor? Again, with the inferences and the presumptions. And I think this record supports the inference that he did. What comparisons, Professor Carlin, can we make between kings that the framers were afraid of and the president's conduct today? So kings could do no wrong because the king's word was law. And contrary to what uh, President Trump has said, Article 2 does not give him the power to do anything he wants. And I'll just give you one example that shows you the difference between him and a king, which is the Constitution says there can be no titles of nobility. So while the president can name his son baron, he can't make him a baron. (laughs) The Democrats on the panel and in the audience sort of laughed and chuckled at that. It was obviously a rehearsed, canned line that she was waiting to unleash so it shows you just how poor her judgment is and you need to keep in mind that this woman was one of the candidates that hillary clinton had cited that she was going to appoint to the supreme court if she was elected president it was a, a a bad judgment on a massive scale and it didn't take long for matt Gaetz to call her out on it Liberals tend to cluster more. Conservatives, especially very conservative people, tend to spread out more, perhaps because they don't even want to be around themselves. Did you say that? Yes, I did. Do you, do you un- Did you hear the giggling in the background? That is the, Dem- the Democrat representatives up on the stage who too stupid to turn off their mics and took the opportunity to giggle. Did you say that? Yes, I did. 
do you, do you understand how that reflects contempt on people who are conservative? No, what I was talking about there was the natural tendency, if you put the quote in context, the natural tendency of a compactness requirement to favor a party whose voters are more spread out. Well, that is a pure lie. The statement that gets quoted right there was obviously a insult to conservatives, and she tries to make the argument that it is uh, some academic observation. And I do professor, not have hold on I'm, again. I'm very, I'm, I'm very limited on time, professor. And, and so I just have to say, when you talk about how liberals want to be around each other and cluster, and conservatives don't want to be around each other, and so they have to spread out, it makes people. You may not see this from you know like the ivory towers of your law school, but it makes actual people in this country when feel the like, excuse calls me, me, you don't get to interrupt me on this time. Now let me also suggest that when you invoke the president's son's name here, here when you try to make a little joke out of reference. Baron Trump, that does not lend credibility to your argument. It makes you look mean. It makes you look like you're attacking someone's family, the minor child of the president of the United States. So let's see if we can get into the facts. So it not only makes her look mean, it makes her her judgment call into question. Anybody with any propriety or judgment would know that dragging a 13-year-old son's name into this impeachment hearing was going to be a disaster, but she went ahead and did it. And that's, that was really the major takeaway for the, for the media because, you know, they don't want to dig deep into the, the arguments made during this hearing. She basically just blew up the hearing for the Democrats to the point where even on public broadcast, the PBS TV news hour, they, uh, they had a Yamichi Alcindor. I'm not sure if she's related to uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, but Yamichi Alcindor pointed out, and, and, and Alcindor is a, a lefty, big-time lefty, what a mistake it was. They're following it very closely and responding in real time. And what we see now are Republicans seizing on a key moment. It's when Pamela Carlin, she's a professor who is testifying and a Democratic witness, she said that President Trump could name his son Barron but could not make him a Barron. She was referring to the fact that she thinks that President Trump at times can act like a king because he's abusing power. But she was really also making a joke about the fact that the president's 13-year-old son is named Barron. And Barron, of course, is a noble title. Um, and she was basically making the case that he cannot be made into nobility and he won't inherit, essentially, the presidency. Republicans are now seizing on that and saying that she was completely out of line. We saw Matt Gates, an ally of the president, essentially say that she was mean and that this really hit her credibility and made her not as credible. We also saw the Trump campaign quickly come out with a statement. And that statement said, in part, Hunter Biden, Vice President Joe Biden's son, is off limits, but a 13-year-old isn't. They're also now calling on Democrats to essentially criticize this professor and, and say that what she was doing was wrong. They also are now asking for an apology. So what we're seeing there is really fireworks when it comes to Republicans seizing on this witness and saying she was out of bounds and that and that Democrats are essentially showing no boundaries because they are still backing her at this point. Well, it really wasn't the campaign that pushed back. It was Melania Trump, who in real time during the hearing tweeted at uh, Pamela Carlin that a minor child deserves to be kept out of politics. 
called her out and says, you should be ashamed of your very angry and obviously biased public pandering and using a child to do it. Kamala, or I mean, uh, Pamela Carlin had to apologize before the hearing was even over with. And we're going to play that apology for you after the break. And we're going to play uh, some extended clips of Jonathan Turley's arguments against impeachment. I hope you'll stick with us. We'll be right back after two messages right here on the Mojo 5 Radio Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No. Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you Lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And you're back on Right Now with Jim Dawes. Your daily America First Journal of news, politics, and culture. Coming right at you on the Mojo Five O Radio Network. So the Democrats' lead witness, their star witness yesterday, was this Pamela Carlin of Stanford University. Brought with her a long history of anti-Trump statements, sort of unhinged statements. There was memes going around yesterday on social media of her wearing one of those pussy hats. I don't know. I guess I'll learn if I'm allowed to say that on the air. But uh, here's an example of some of the statements that uh, she made. Uh, Tucker Carlson played this on his show last night. There are other bad things in the world to fear, including, of course, Jefferson Beauregard Sessions III and ICE agents who are out of control. So she's... She's saying we must fear Jeff Sessions because he's got a, a middle name that uh, harkens back to the Confederacy. Didn't give himself that name, obviously. But when you're suffering from Trump derangement syndrome, you can't concern yourselves with uh, small, minor details like that. And she called attention to herself by uh, calling out the president's 13-year-old son in her testimony, attacking the president, trying to claim that he was a prospective king and thought of himself as a monarch and that he was going to pass on the presidency to Baron Trump, which, you know, prompted Melania uh, to tweet real time, you know, for her to keep Baron's name out of her mouth. And then she had to issue sort of an apology, non-apology, one of these things that the leftists sort of uh, specialize in. 
sorry, not sorry kind of things. Say one Please. thing. Um, I want to apologize for uh, what I said earlier about the president's son. It was wrong of me to do that. I wish the president would apologize, obviously, for the things that he's done that's wrong. But I do regret having said that. I wish Thank the you, president Professor. would apologize for some of the things that he has done. She's not there as a fact witness. She was there to give her opinions on the constitutionality of this impeachment, which she failed massively on. But she couldn't even hide her Trump derangement syndrome long enough to get through without calling attention to herself as a, a, a never-Trumper. So I've got some kind of long clips here. Well, I guess before I get to the longer ones, I'm, I'm going to play this clip of of uh, Jim Jordan catching Professor Carlin in a lie when she was trying to claim that he used this term we during his phone conversation with the Ukrainian president and, and implying, not implying, saying outright that that was referring to himself in the royal we and Jim Jordan pointed out that she took this statement entirely out of context in order to make her argument. I'd like you to look. That is not the correct clip. Here we go. Uh, here we go. Thank the gentleman for yielding. Uh, Professor Carlin, context is important, isn't it? Yes, sir. Yeah, because just a few minutes ago when, when the, our colleague from Florida presented a statement you made, you said, well, you got to take that statement in context, but it seems to me you don't want to extend the same or apply the same standard to the president. Because the now famous quote, I would like you to do us a favor, you said about an hour and a half ago that that didn't mean us, didn't mean us, it meant the president himself. But that's that, the clear reading of this, I would like you to do us a favor, though, because, you know what the next two words are? Um, I don't have the document. I'll tell you, because our country... He didn't say, I would like you to do me a favor, though, because I have been through a lot. He said, I want you to do us a favor, though, because our country has been through a lot. You know what this, this call, when this call happened? Happened the day after Mueller was in front of this committee. Of course, our country put, was put through two years of this. And the idea that you're now going to say, oh, this is the royal we, and he's talking about himself, ignores the entire context of his statement. That whole paragraph, you know what he ends in that paragraph with? Talking about Bob Mueller. And this is, this is the basis for this impeachment, this call. It couldn't be further from the truth. You want the, you want the standard to apply when, when Representative Gates makes one of your statements. Oh, you got to look at the context. But when the President of the United States is clear, you try to change his word. And when the context is clear, he's talking about the two years that this country went through because of this Mueller report. Gentlemen, Somehow that standard doesn't apply to the President. She that is, that is ridiculous. It is ridiculous. She tried to make the argument that he used the term we, referring to himself in the royal sense, and then went on to say that uh, he, he can name his son Baron, but he can't make him a Baron. She made an absolute fool of herself, and you got to realize that this is a law professor from Stanford University, one of the Ivy League schools where we're told that our best and brightest are trained. But Jonathan Turley, professor over at George Washington University in Washington, D.C., that is a regular um, a guest on Fox News, made these other three professors look really sophomoric by comparison. And this is the point of the program where I'm going to get into some very long clips from Professor Turley because he's the one that uh, brought substance and, and real um, credibility to the hearing yesterday he was not a trump supporter 
Neither does he suffer from Trump derangement syndrome. He admitted in his opening statement that he didn't vote for Trump. He doesn't approve of Trump. He voted for Hillary Clinton. But as an honest academic, he had to make the case that the the Democrats' case for impeachment is paper thin and that they're rushing this and that it is doing great damage to the country and to the Constitution. Uh, this statement has been made, not just by these witnesses, but Chairman Schiff and others, that this is a clear case of bribery. It's not. And Chairman Schiff said that it might not fit today's definition of bribery, but it would fit the definition back in the 18th century. Now, putting aside Mr. Schiff's turn towards originalism, I... I think that it might come as a relief to him and his supporters that his career will be a short one, uh, that there is not an originalist uh, future in that argument. Uh, the bribery theory being put forward uh, is as flawed in the 18th century as it is in this century. Um, the statement that was made by one of my esteemed colleagues is that bribery really wasn't defined until much later. There was no bribery statute, and that is certainly true. But it obviously had a meaning. That's why they put it in this important standard. Uh, bribery was not this overarching concept that Chairman Schiff indicated. Quite to the contrary, the original standard was treason and bribery. That led uh, Mason to object that it was too narrow. If bribery could include any type of time you did anything for personal interest uh, instead of public interest, if you have this overarching definition, that exchange would have been completely useless. The framers didn't disagree with Mason's view that bribery was too narrow. What they disagreed with was when he suggested maladministration to add to the standard because he wanted it to be broader. And what James Madison said is that that's too broad that that would essentially create what you might call a vote of no confidence in England. It would basically allow Congress to toss out a president that they did not like. But once again, we're all channeling the intent of the framers, uh, and that's always a dangerous uh, thing to do. Um, the, only more, the only more dangerous spot to stand in is between Congress and an impeachment as an academic. Uh, but I would offer instead... The words of the framers themselves. You see, in that exchange, they didn't just say bribery was too narrow. They actually gave an example of bribery, and it was nothing like what was described. When the uh, objection was made uh, by uh, Mason, I'm uh, sorry, by Madison, ultimately the framers agreed. And then Morris, who was referred to earlier, did say we need to adopt the standard. But what was left out was what came afterwards. What Morris said is that, that we need to protect against bribery because we don't want anything like what happened with Louis XIV and Charles II. That is, the example he gave of bribery was accepting actual money as the head of state so what had happened in that example that Morris gave as his example of bribery was that Louis XIV, who was a bit of a recidivist when it came to bribes, uh, gave Charles II a huge amount of money as well as other benefits, including apparently a, a French mistress, in exchange 
for uh, the secret treaty of Dover of 1670. Uh, it also was an exchange for his converting to Catholicism. But that wasn't some broad notion of bribery. It was actually quite narrow. So I don't think that dog will hunt in the 18th century, and I don't think it will hunt today. Because if you take a look at the 21st century, bribery is well-defined. And you shouldn't just take our word for it. You should look to how it's defined by the United States Supreme Court. In a case called McDonald versus the United States, the Supreme Court looked at a public corruption bribery case. This was a case where gifts were actually received. Benefits were actually extended. There was completion. This was not some hypothetical of of a, a crime that was not fulfilled or an action that was not actually taken. The Supreme Court unanimously overturned that conviction. Unanimously. And what they said was that you cannot take the bribery crime um, and use what they called a boundless interpretation. All the justices said that it's a dangerous thing to take a crime like bribery and apply a boundless interpretation. They rejected the notion, for example, that bribery could be used in terms of setting up meetings and other types of things that occur in the course of uh, a public service career. Sound familiar? Uh, So what I would caution the committee is that these crimes have meaning. It gives me no joy to disagree with my colleagues here. And I really don't have a dog in this fight. But you can't accuse a president of bribery. And then when some of us note that the Supreme Court has rejected your type of boundless interpretation, say, well, it's just impeachment. We really don't have to prove the elements. That's a favorite mantra that is sort of close enough for jazz. Well, this isn't improvisational jazz. Close enough is not good enough. If you're going to accuse a president of bribery, you need to make it stick because you're trying to remove a duly elected president of the United States. Now, it's unfair to accuse someone of a crime, and when others say, well, those interpretations you're using to define the crime are not valid, and to say they don't have to be valid. Because this is impeachment. That has not been the standard historically. If you, my testimony lays out the criminal allegations in the previous impeachments. Those were not just proven crimes. They were accepted crimes. That is, even the Democrats on that judiciary, that the Judiciary Committee agreed that Bill Clinton had committed perjury. That's on the record. And and a federal judge later said it was perjury. In the case of Nixon, the crimes were established. No one seriously disagreed with those crimes. Now, Johnson's the outlier because Johnson was a trapdoor crime. They basically created a crime knowing that Johnson wanted to replace Secretary of War Stanton. And Johnson did because they had serious trouble in the cabinet. So they created a trapdoor crime, waited for him to fire the Secretary of War, and then they impeached him. But there's no question he committed the crime. It's just the underlying statute was unconstitutional. And they have yet so and they have yet to prove that Donald Trump committed a crime. They don't even have a a, a crime that they can define. They keep poll testing 
what they want to claim that the president did that he's that they're impeaching him for. And Jonathan Turley absolutely made the other three professors on that panel look sophomoric by comparison. Now, I would argue that it was inappropriate to have these constitutional professors uh, bloviating and opining on whether or not it was appropriate for impeachment before we actually have a, a case that's been made against the president that would support an impeachment. But Jonathan Turley was a absolute tour de force in knocking down the Democrats' rationale and, and really making their whole case look sort of foolish. And that's why it's kind of funny that <laughs> Nadler is, is blowing it again. You know, they took the impeachment hearings, the early uh, impeachment hearings, away from him and gave them to Adam Schiff because Nadler had made such a hash of it before, and he's back at it again. That hearing yesterday was more of a, more effective in its defense for Trump than it was in advancing the impeachment case because the three professors that they called up there were obviously biased and obviously pursuing a political agenda. we got to run out to a break, but when we come back, I'm going to play you a little bit more of Jonathan Turley, and then we're going to get on to a few other stories. Stick with us. We'll be right back. Mojo. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So you remember after Robert Mueller uh, came up empty-handed in his his um, in investigation into RussiaGate, the Democrats promptly tried to change the charges from collusion to obstruction by saying that the president wasn't adequately open with the Democrats and cooperating with with um, with Mueller because he had made some mean tweets and he had said some things nasty about Robert Mueller. And they're trying to do that again in this case. They've been absolutely unable to prove a quid pro quo or a bribery or extortion or any of these other harebrained schemes they've come up with. So now they're trying to say, well, we're going to impeach him for not cooperating with our sham investigation. Well, Jonathan Turley addressed that as well. And and the, the basis of their case is that these witnesses aren't complying with our subpoenas. They're going to court and asking for the court to rule whether or not these subpoenas are invalid. And Turley just knocked that case down entirely. If you impeach a president, if you make a high crime and misdemeanor out of going to the courts, it is an abuse of power. It's your abuse of power. You are doing precisely what you're criticizing the president for doing. We have a third branch that deals with conflicts of the other two branches. 
and what comes out of there and what you do with it is the very definition of legitimacy. Very definition of legitimacy. I made that argument on yesterday's show that this whole charge of obstruction, because these witnesses are going to court to determine which of the uh, uh, branches of government has control over whether or not they're forced to testify, was entirely bogus. And these arguments that somehow the Trump administration has abused its executive privilege to early knock that down as well. You know, I've, I've been friends with Bill Barr for a long time. Uh, we disagree on uh, executive privilege. I'm a Madisonian scholar. I tend to favor Congress in disputes. Uh, and he is the inverse. His natural default is Article 2. My natural default is Article 1. But he actually has released more privileged information than any attorney general in my lifetime, including the Mueller report. These transcripts of these calls would be core executive privilege material. There's no question about that. So actually, you know, this whole case is just bogus. It is perfectly legitimate for the president of the United States to try to get to the bottom of whether or not a former vice president and indeed the Obama administration and possibly even Obama himself were engaged in corruption in the Ukraine. And there is plenty of evidence for reasonable suspicion to conduct an investigation. And I've argued before, you don't get magic immunity from your previous wrongdoing because you're the Democrat's candidate for president i wish i had been on yesterday's panel i would i would have liked to have asked these democrat witnesses how it is not in america's vital national interest to know whether the possible democrat candidate for uh president was engaged in corruption to the tune of millions of dollars in the ukraine i'd also like to have asked Professor Kaplan in particular, how is it possibly in America's national security interests for us to be over there on the doorstep of Russia sending $400 million of American taxpayer money to, uh, to escalate a conflict with Russia? And I wish one of them had asked a, a fairly obvious question, and that is... <clears throat> What comments have you made in your personal or professional life calling for impeachment of this president? Make them put it in their own words, because each and every one of them have argued for impeaching Donald Trump before this current case. Support for impeachment is continuing to slip in battleground states. And the Democrats' strategies of trying to sway voters' minds with these liberal elite law professors, it just ain't playing. But they're undoubtedly going to advance this case for impeachment over to the Senate. And then we're going to get to see Mitch McConnell really work. He's, uh, he's trying to negotiate uh, rules for a trial in the Senate with Chucky Schumer over there in the Senate. Chuck's not uh, not cooperating, so at some point, McConnell's going to have to rely on his his majority, his Republican majority, uh, to implement the rules in the Senate. And I hope he gives them the same rules that the Democrats have given the Republicans in the House, and that is they don't get to call their witnesses. 
The Republicans get to determine which questions they can and cannot answer. Hell, for that matter, let's just go ahead and deny the Democrats their opportunity to have their own counsel present. That's what they did to Trump in in the Intelligence Committee. They should give the Democrats the exact same rules in the Senate that the Democrats gave the Republicans in the House. And, by the way, they ought, to, uh, they ought to look into the phone records of Adam Schiff and Jerry Nadler, and hell, let's throw in Nancy Pelosi and a few New York Times reporters on top of that. Just the same way Adam Schiff went after the phone records of Devin Nunes and John Solomon, and hell, even went after the phone records of the president's attorney, Rudy Giuliani. One of the funny things that came out yesterday was Al Green, who is constantly counting, uh, you know, the color of witnesses and and uh, and their sexual orientation. He took to the floor of the House to complain that there was a lack of diversity among the impeachment hearing witnesses. He wants diversity when we're railroading a president. And speaking of diversity. Kamala Harris has uh, ha- is down. Kamala's down. She's fallen out of the Democrat primaries. She has withdrawn. Tulsi Gabbard, on the other hand, is still standing. And and Kamala says it's all about the money. She can't afford to continue her campaign. And truth be t- be told, it is in fact about the money because the Democrat National Committee is broke. There's seven million dollars in debt. They don't. They don't have a war chest. They have a war debt. And Kamala Harris can't raise money because nobody believes that she's going to be president of the United States. She doesn't have any popular support. She lost her support among the big donors. And she's pointing out she's not a billionaire. And that got me to thinking. You know, I've sort of dismissed whether or not Michael Bloomberg had a path to the Democrats' nomination, and I think maybe he does. He is absolutely carpet-bombing the airwaves with his ads because he can afford, I think he's spending millions and millions, tens of millions of dollars on this ad campaign. Before it's all over with, it'll be hundreds of millions of dollars. So Bloomberg is, uh, is not going to be on the debate stage. He is not going to be in the early primary states. And I think what he's counting on is for the Democrat convention to not pick a nominee on the first ballot. Then he can ride in, claim to be this. This is after Joe Biden will have had to withdraw because he's not going to win any place other than maybe South Carolina. And then Bloomberg can ride in with his big checkbook and represent the Democrat establishment's interests, possibly uh, you know get the nomination and appoint Kamala Harris as his vice presidential candidate. The Democrats <laughs> were all over the media raising Cain because uh, you know Kamala was a black female and she had to drop out of the race because she couldn't raise money, ignoring entirely that it's the Democrats that are you know denying her the support and the fundraising. So they're basically calling their own 
voters, their own Democrat voters, a bunch of racists. And they're apparently ignoring, they're saying that on the next presidential debate, there's not going to be uh, any, that, that, that it's going to be all white. Apparently ignoring that Tulsi Gabbard is uh, East Indian and that Andrew Yang is Asian and hell, ignoring that uh, Elizabeth Warren is a Native American. They're saying there's going to be no people of color. Mm-mm. Oh, Brian Kemp, governor of Georgia, who, well, some people say he's governor of Georgia. Uh, the Democrats still insist that Stacey Abrams is, in fact, the real governor of Georgia. But he's appointing this uh, Kelly Loeffler who is a, a very wealthy uh, co-owner of the New York Stock Exchange that lives there in Atlanta for the uh, work or has founded the uh, parent company of the New York Stock Exchange? And Kelly Loeffner is um, she's being tapped by Brian Kemp to replace outgoing Senator Johnny Isaacson. She is a, a very articulate, attractive uh, candidate, but the problem is uh, she's been a big donor to Planned Parenthood. And the Republican base in Georgia was kind of hoping that that job would go to Doug Collins, who has acquitted himself well in this, these impeachment hearings. I'm not a big booster of Doug Collins. I think he's sort of articulate. I, I don't think he is Senator Timber. But neither do I think that uh, Kelly Loeffler is uh, the, the best pick. We'll have more on that story in the coming days. And we'll get to some of the other news. On tomorrow's edition of Right Now with Jim Dawes, I want to invite you back to join us then. Right here on the Mojo Five O Radio Network. We'll talk to you then. <laughs>